And this is one of the challenges of the community in a course environment being separate from the content. In an ideal world, they'd be deeply integrated together. And you go to the content and the communities all around it. But right now, the best content platforms don't have good community. And the best community platforms don't have good content. So you actually have two separate destinations. And that's unfortunate at this point. My name is Ish Babe, and I'm the founder and CEO of Virtually. And I'm Will Manon. I'm course director at Forte Academy. And this is Reshaping Education, where we discuss the future of education, including online courses, boot camps, and how the internet is changing how we learn. Hey, everybody. Ish here. And this is a rebroadcast of a live Reshaping Education podcast episode that we recorded with Jay Klaus and August Brad. We dove deep into the history of community platforms, the trade-offs of a lot of the ones out there, and how to decide which one is right for you. If you enjoy the podcast, Will, I would greatly appreciate a subscribe or a follow on your favorite podcast player and a quick review. And if you want to keep up with new episodes when they drop, feel free to head on over to our newsletter and subscribe. You can subscribe at reshapingeducationpodcast.com. With that, I hope you enjoyed this episode. There's a lot of different options out there and they're evolving really quickly, both new tools coming onto the scene and also existing tools, adding new features. We had one big feature announcement earlier today from one of the popular platforms that we can talk about in a moment. Uh, But we're going to talk about the principles of what makes asynchronous communities thrive, what to look for, and then we can get into specific tools, talk about the features that exist in different tools and some of the trade-offs when you're choosing a tool. The real principle I think we can start with is that there is no one perfect solution right now. There's uh, a lot of disagreement about which is the best tool. So it'd be really fun to get into those trade-offs and we can round out the discussion with both a look to what's coming in the future um, and a Q&A if anybody wants to hop on the stage. So that's the plan for today, talking about the principles of great communities, specific tools that are out there, what the future looks like, and any questions you all may have. So in the conversation, we've got three people up on stage right now, but joined by a fourth, and then whoever wants to raise their hand, we can bring other people up as well. But myself, Will Manning, course director for Rite of Passage, really think about communities specifically within cohort-based courses. Also have Ishbide, founder of Virtually, which is a uh, tool that helps people build and run online courses in the back end. And August Bradley, who uh, is a course builder and creator, has a lot of thoughts um, on all of these topics, as long as a whole laundry list of things he's done before he got into the uh, course building space, but runs Notion course, which happens uh, over a 12-month period. Yeah. <laughs> August, great. I know we talked a couple of weeks ago, but fun to do this here in the Twitter space. Yeah. Awesome to be here. I really appreciate this opportunity. And it's uh, certainly a topic we can go deep into. So lots to cover. With that, let's, uh, let's kick off the discussion. What do you say, Will? Do it. Yeah. I, I think a good place to start are just what are different components of strong asynchronous virtual communities? I have a little list here and would love to get input uh, is from yourself, August from you. And just think about the things, uh, different components of any virtual community uh, before talking about sort of the specific tools that are out there right now. But I think an easy place to start, there's different types of ways people can share written content in uh, communities. One is through forum posts, which are a bit more permanent, right? We have a, a post with a header and people can reply in a very formal way. And that contrasts with a, a chat style room, something you might see in a tool like Slack, where there's quick back and forth chats that feel almost like texting. So that's just one or two things to start with, forum posts versus chat posts. I've got a few others in terms of places to share resources within your community, sharing videos, sharing written materials, things that are relevant. Uh, for the group. So communities can also, in addition to being a place to communicate, they can be 
uh, a store of knowledge. So you could have a Q&A thread, you could have discussion threads that over time build up valuable information for folks in the community to refer back to. So that's a couple things to start with. August, any thoughts on just different components of asynchronous communities? Yeah, absolutely. So I think before you get to the technology choice or even the format choice, you need to first ask yourself, what is your objective with the community? What do you really want to achieve? That's point one. So ultimately, at least in the context that I've been engaged with this, which is course communities, I think there are two big choices, at least two that I've wrestled with. One is creating an aggregation of insight and knowledge and wisdom and pre-answered questions that are easy to find past topics and discussions. It's an archive, but it's also active. It's current. So there's the organization and availability of the information that comes up from the conversations. And then there's relationship building, connecting with other people, making friends, or just feeling like you're part of something and something that even though it's asynchronous, it's real-time connected. And that's where I think we get to the two implementations that you mentioned. One is the forum style posts, and the other is the chat-based fluid dynamic flow of discussion, which has a lower barrier to entry. It doesn't feel as much of a burden or obligation to chime in. You can put something very short, simple, whereas with the forum style posts, it's a bit more of a mental burden. And you feel you need to rise to a higher level to justify a whole post. And then it depends on what you prioritize. Ultimately, you're going to want both, but you really may need to make a choice at this stage of the game with the options available, which matters more, relationship building or building a knowledge base that people can easily access long beyond the conversation. Definitely. One thing that I think maybe we get before we get too deep into the conversation, one of the things I wanted to call out as a disclaimer is that Really, no community platform can cause your community to come alive. So it's up to you to be able to do that. But community platforms can help. It can, it can really help change the dynamics of how your community members engage and, and grow. That being said, I think we're not going to get too much into the nitty gritty there. But one of the places I'd be curious to hearing your guys' perspective is actually talking a little bit about it, the history of kind of community platforms and what is the evolution we've seen over time? At least for me, when I think back, I think really when we saw internet communities emerge, they really were these forum style, decentralized forums all around the web for kind of these vertical, very niche topics. Over time, we saw Reddit emerge, Facebook groups. When you guys think back, where, where do you see the origin of these internet communities and platforms? I started back in around 2003, 2000. Yeah, probably in 2002, 2003, I started what became one of the largest skiing online communities on the internet. It started really tiny with me just creating several different profiles and talking to myself with different personas. And it eventually grew into something that you'd log on and there would be tens of thousands of people at any given time. It was called Epic Ski. Any uh, of the, the older skier crowd is, in, is here. So it just So I have a lot of history in this. And really, to your point, you have to cultivate a growing active community. Platform choice is far second compared to your active engagement and cultivating the discussion. Um, Again, there are different objectives of types of discussions that require different types of leadership. But yeah, so I was working on an old forum software, now old at the time cutting edge called vBulletin, which is one of the classics. I actually evolved to that from a front page. I think it was a Microsoft front page 
web building platform that had one that then moved into vBulletin, which felt so cutting edge at the time. But now that's the traditional older style forum. That's where you have static posts. And the current product discourse is a representation, a very good representation of that traditional old school style, which is very good for aggregating and organizing information as it builds over time. Uh, Google loved the vBulletin. It looks, when I think of older forums, I think of, you know, college sports forums, people going back and forth, real almost ancient looking web one type of uh, format. But I see what you mean. This course actually, funny enough, is the platform that Building a Second Brain Rite of Passage used about two years ago when I started working on those courses. And it does have that sort of legacy look. It's probably, like you said, the best version of that legacy form style, but it still has that very almost rectangular, formal type of post that differs so much from what we see uh, on the market nowadays. But yeah. yeah. And I love walking down kind of history. Will and I actually did August before, I think, this past season. We kicked off the season two of Reshaping Education with kind of a three epic of online history. And I think the great thing about history is it can teach us kind of the core fundamentals of why these platforms really emerge. And if you can understand the fundamentals, you can really start to understand, hey, why are we where we are today and where are things headed? When I really think about my first experience with communities, it's not really what you would community platforms. It's what you would expect. It was probably actually Yahoo Answers. Do you guys remember Yahoo Answers? It was, And I think one of the big reasons that community platforms sprung up in the first place is this idea to connect with people that you can't access geographically. The people that have this kind of shared struggle, obstacle, but they're nowhere near you. You don't have access to them. And that is the better, that is the vision of online communities. That's the big problem it solves. And it's, it really helps you find answers. Communities help you find answers for things that you can't just look up. And I think that's what I thought. So something like Yahoo Answers, which was a precursor to Quora, was really great at, was the idea is you wouldn't just get answers in terms of how to solve this algebra problem. You would get people sharing their experiences. And that's something that not that's nothing that any anything can be automated. That really you have to rely on people's experiences there. So I think Yahoo Answers this emerges in early two thousands. We see Reddit and all these kind of other forum platforms. I think the other place I really for the first time I ever really experienced online community forums was I think College Confidential when I was applying to colleges. I really depended on those threads to understand what colleges were looking for and where I needed to be in terms of SAT scores, in terms of extracurriculars to be able to get into to the colleges I was shooting for. Uh, Will, would be curious to hear when you first encountered online communities. Yeah, I mentioned the, the sports uh, fan sites, things like that. Reddit about 10 years ago was real big. Yeah, there's, those are, there's a distinction here though. It's important to draw, right? There's just completely open communities like a subreddit or a, a sports team, thing like that versus walled garden communities. I think what's interesting, a lot of the tools we'll be focusing on today are largely around you know building that walled garden. What sort of what are the components of a completely open community versus a walled garden community platform? And what are the different trade-offs you can think about between those different types of communities? Yeah. I don't know if you had any other thoughts on the history. Otherwise, I, I was really interested in that distinction you drew between the forums and the chat posts. I think the more casual chat type of rooms have a, there's a few, there's a level deeper we can go where you can have public chats within a community where you're going back and forth and everybody's watching. It's like a one-to-many. It's a public conversation. But then there's also one-to-one chats, like a DM 
type function, and then also uh, group chat. So there's different layers within that those chat side of the house. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that from things you've seen in your current platforms or platforms you've used, how they've evolved. But I think that's an important distinction to make right. for the ephemeral side. Yeah. Well, tying your two questions together, the history with the, the chat evolution is all the things we talked about in terms of the history was the classic forum style, the organization by topic in bigger posts. Simultaneously, without us even looking, our natural communication platform or, or engagement types of, you know, the ways we started to communicate was text messaging mm. and then Facebook DMs and then Facebook groups popped up and we, and then we got the chat apps, the, the WeChats and the WhatsApp and the Telegram. So these are all popping up in our individual communication and then communities just growing within them. I don't think they were intended for that, but ultimately it was cultivated when that was clearly popular and communities just naturally grew in these chat environments. And that has, therefore, when people sat down and said, how do we create a community? They thought forum posts, but then an organic uprising happened within the chat platforms. And so now chat has become a viable alternative. Our chat based style of communication has become a viable alternative to the forum post based. And that's where we have the choice now. The crazy thing is they don't need to be separate. There's no reason for them. You could get the best of both worlds, but the, at the moment, we don't have the best of both worlds. And I know some of the platforms have this on the roadmap. So it's going to happen. Ultimately, you'll be able to choose in any given room within your environment. But right now, you actually have to make a choice as to which way you're going to go. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. And, and again, the chat fosters connectivity and engagement and uh, connection between people. Forum posts foster organized information that's more accessible over time and, and grows and accumulates. So there are pros and cons, right, but ultimately right. at this stage, you need to prioritize and then make a choice based on that. Totally. I'd love to round out some of these other components and then we can move to the platforms themselves. But so we have the forum versus the chat. I mentioned resource sharing, which does somewhat tie to the forum style posts, but being a store of knowledge for your community that can go back in time and see what people have posted in the past. Something that relates there as well as searchability, right? How easily can a community be searched to pull up either information about a given member or a given topic? So I think that's something that relates to store of knowledge, how searchable is your... Another one I had written down was easy onboarding, right? How much friction is there to get people people into this digital environment, that can really be make or break. That first impression makes a big difference. It just logistically, is it signing up with a username and password? Is it just your phone number? Things like that. And then also, I think once you're in, that's really a make or break moment when people first join. How welcoming is your community? It's almost just this initial vibe when you walk in the door. I've heard Jay Klaus, who's joining us shortly here, talk about an in-person event when you go to some mixer happy hour you don't know a lot of people it's that initial feeling out the room seeing what's going on trying to make that first connection in an in-person event you might have driven across town and you're not just gonna uh, leave within five minutes because you've committed yourself by being in person <laughs> if a community virtually isn't welcoming you can pretty easily turn off your phone or close your laptop so those are a few other components we'd love to hear your all's thoughts on that either expanding on those or adding other components we haven't talked about yet your middle point was a huge one that we hadn't touched at all. Everything we've been talking about has been the user experience, which is probably the most important thing. But the back end is actually super important as an administrator, a creator of these environments. And some make life 
super easy and give you a lot of automation and integration with the other parts of your tech ecosystem and others don't. So that's a big consideration too. I would say it's secondary. I'm willing to put in extra work if I create a better experience for users at the end, because at the end of the day, the user engagement and satisfaction level matters more than anything, but your life can be made a lot easier or more difficult depending on the sophistication of the backend of the platform you choose. Totally. Yeah, there's, let's see if there's any other features, things that are, are uh, becoming more and more popular now are things like hosting live events within a community, event scheduling, things like that. And I think we'll talk about that as we get into some of the specific platforms. Actually, great timing. I see we have Jay joining us as well. So Jay, I'll bring you up on stage here in Twitter spaces. Good to see you. Yeah. So, right. Jay, just to give you the lay of the land, we we're talking about different components of asynchronous communities, we talked about things like forum posts, the chat type of style comments, store of knowledge, searchability, onboarding, backend, vibe. Um, I know you have a lot of thoughts on all these topics. So maybe quickly, any high level thoughts on components of a community? And then we're going to get into some specific platforms and kind of trade notes on different platforms. But see if you had any opening thoughts on the components of async communities. Yeah, it's fun that you called out vibe. I like that. At the end of the at, at like at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is a shared purpose and a reason that people understand and are like continuously reminded as to why this space exists and how to engage with it. I think having a really clear, intuitive onboarding to help you understand how to engage within this community, and then like a continuous feedback loop, letting you know how you're doing, how you can engage better, that you're appreciated, that you're missed when you're gone. All those things play a really big role too, in my opinion. And I'm thinking more and more about this concentric circle model of like different sizes of groups, even within that community that you can engage with. You might be in a community that's a thousand people or several hundred people. And that might not be your preferred way to engage. You might be someone that wants to talk one-to-one -one with people or within a small group and designing for ways to for people to like ladder into smaller and smaller group experiences within your community I think is also idea yeah I yeah it's so interesting the question too of how much are you as a community builder or manager responsible for creating those medium and especially small groups versus just allowing them to flourish on their own. That's something we always wrestle with the rite of passage community that I help run. How much are you just giving people space versus telling them, hey, this is exactly where you should be joining. So, yeah. Oh, one of, one of the things that I, I was also wanted to bring up before we talk about specific community platform is this also this idea of meeting your members where they are. Right. So I think a lot of the people like to debate about, hey, this is the right platform. I prefer the tooling on this platform. But I don't think enough people talk about where is your community? Like, where do they thrive? Where, what are the places they already are? So one of the reasons that I think Facebook groups was really one of the inception of where communities thrived was because everybody was already on Facebook. Your entire social network was on Facebook. So it was easy to organize people. And then because everybody was already on Facebook, for other things, checking events or birthdays or updates, it was easy to plug into a ton of communities. Now, one thing we, I, this is a pretty historic moment, but in the last, really, it, it hasn't been that long, three years, we've seen, start to see this mass exodus from Facebook. I'd be curious to hear everybody's perspective why that is. Obviously, I have a theory of my own, but it'd be great to hear about it from people who have organized communities on Facebook and have an experience that had made that explicit decision to leave Facebook. I know, Will, you've, you have a great story here. Well, with Rite of Passage, when I first joined on with David, 
he had heard a lot of chattering about, we need a Facebook group. This course was where we were at the time. As mentioned, it was that older 2010 style forum, felt a bit clunky. And we thought about making a Facebook group. We actually did make one briefly for a post cohort community of our third cohort in November, 2019, and it was dead. We could not pay people to post it. We had no live events paired with it. Uh, it was very jarring to go from this, what we felt was a pretty special community and write a passage and back into Facebook. It just felt off. I haven't been on Facebook for a while myself and talk about vibe killer. I really just felt like trying to have intellectual conversations along with you know posts in your forum from people you knew 10 years ago in high school just wasn't quite the right mix. So we quickly left Facebook groups, never went back. I think to your point, there's a broader trend of people moving away from Facebook groups. Although I will say, I think especially outside of this Twitter sphere, as we like to call it, there are plenty of courses. Look at a Marie Forleo. She has a massive B-school and huge audience. And a lot of that, as far as I know, is still run through Facebook groups. So they're not dead yet, but I do think we're trending well, away it, from those. It's, um, it's interesting you mentioned that, Will, because I think this comes back to meeting your audience where you are. There's still right. a th- Facebook still has a billion plus, probably more, much more than that, monthly actives. And a lot of those people tend to be in, in a specific age group and demographic. And if your age group and demographic is the one that serves Facebook, then, you know, maybe Facebook groups is the right platform for you. That being right. said, well, one of, well, go ahead, August, I'll let you. No, no, you finish your point, go ahead. Yeah, my, my point is, I think one of the big things that's cost this exodus that I've seen is just this idea of not being able to own your community, right? It, this, it was what you were talking about with kind of notifications intermingled with completely different things. If your focus is really to engage people in your community, it's hard to do that when they're distracted by a million different things. And when you have announcements and notifications, you want to get to your members and they're not actually getting to your members, that's frustrating. So that need for control is the reason why I think I saw this mass exodus. And it's why we can even have this discussion about community platforms. Because now course creators and community builders are looking for other platforms. All these new ones have sprung up and that's created essentially this community platforms board that way we're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Meeting your, your community where they are has huge advantages in terms of driving engagement because they're there. And it's basically the convenience factor. But there's a double-edged sword to that. The other side of that is that it doesn't feel like a unique, special experience. And I know with my programs, I want it to feel like a unique, special experience. And Facebook is the least unique, least special experience you can have in a community as far as I see it. And then like next on the list would be Slack. So better than Facebook. And then at the same time, you have all these distractions. Like you have all these things pulling you out of the community, Facebook being the most extreme, Slack being the next in that spectrum. You now have all of the Slack messages with the red number sign of how many things you need to go address elsewhere in Slack, pulling you out of the community. So it brings you there for the initial engagement, but there's a lot sort of competing with your attention once you're in there. And at the same time, it doesn't feel like a unique experience. To me, Slack feels like work. Facebook feels like chaos. And that's why I was attracted to... I never considered Facebook, but I did consider Slack. But I'm attracted to creating an environment that's more unique. Now, you need to have a destination appeal to pull that off. And it's harder. And it will affect the level of engagement. But the people who engage, I think, will go deeper if you have a destination level offer, not just with the community, but with the whole program around the community. And so if you're doing something small and light, then maybe you definitely need to be in an easy, convenient spot. But if you're doing something that people are investing a lot of money in, have made a big commitment to, perhaps you can make it more of a destination where they have to make an effort to get there. But once they're there, they're in a special and unique environment. 
I like the idea of destination appeal. That's a good way of putting it. Because yeah, like the argument of go where your people are, like that would put all of us on Facebook to some degree. So we can't just say that. But there are some really good Facebook groups that flourish because it it really is hard to pull them off. But it, it depends on your person. Like you need to have platform member fit. Same reason that like there are a lot of communities that won't fit for Discord because the people who would be in that community just haven't experienced Discord and has a pretty high learning curve, even if it can do some really magical things and fit that community well, like people have to have a willingness to overcome that friction. I think the person I've heard talk about the move away from Facebook the most in the most compelling way is Gina Bianchini at Mighty Networks because she brings up the point a lot that Facebook's incentivized to keep people on Facebook and Facebook is therefore incentivized to get people into more groups, more reasons to stick around. So if they're in your group, they're constantly being marketed other groups, which is taking up space in the feed alongside their friends and families and dogs and things, which is really challenging. And she tells a story of Adrian yoga with Adrian moving from Facebook to a mighty networks community and how that had such a big impact on the mental state of their members when they went into the community because they weren't primed by the sort of engineered anger <laughs> that happens a lot on Facebook. And then this goes down to one of the trade-offs of now getting off of Facebook, which is, hey, before everybody was already on Facebook, now you're sending them to another place. I'm curious, what has your guest experience been with that? Like I, Circle, I will say, as, as much as I love Circle as a platform, I'm really not there that often. And so it's like, you have to specifically go there for this community. And how do you guys make sure that they actually have the incentive to do destination appeal? August, take it away. Yeah, that's, that's what I was talking about. You need not every program or every community has the draw and is it even designed to have the draw. Again, it's the scale of the offer and the scale of the investment that your community members have and are willing to make in your community. So if you're doing something that's just sort of a small component of, of the lives of the people who are in the community, I'd make it as easy as possible to get there. But if you're doing something that is a primary objective, a high priority for them, and they've invested a lot of money, they have a lot at stake, the potential gains are significant, the pain it's solving is big in their lives, then they're more willing to make that effort to go there and to bookmark it. So it really depends on the program. It's not right for everyone. But for the programs that are most ambitious, I think it's incredibly exciting and to create an experience that's out of the ordinary. That's, I mean, and we have limitations now, but I think it, we're starting to move in the direction where you have more and more freedom and capability to create more and more of an experience, and it's only going to increase. So it's, again, it's a, a destination or you part of a, an ecosystem, a smaller part of an ecosystem is how to think about it. Yeah. Two, two thoughts here. So we use Circle currently as our primary hub for the Rite of Passage community, also for building a second brain. We've used it since early 2020. We've gotten better at this because especially back then, if anyone on the call doesn't know circle.so, great uh, community tool that looks a lot like Facebook. I like to say without the noise and distraction of Facebook. So in February, 2020, no one even knew what Circle was. It was really hard to get people to go there and stay there. We've gotten better at it. I think there's two things. I think number one is people's first impression of the platform of the community. So we do a couple of things. We have very clear onboarding instructions when they join that pop up uh, for the user. I do a little onboarding video walking through the different components of the community. There's a first step where everybody introduces themselves and people start replying to each other in these 
introductions, creates this warm feeling right when you walk in the door. Uh, quick side note on that, we had somebody in our completion survey from Rite of Passage, this cohort say, it's really a drag that I said hello, gave my big intro, a couple of people liked it and no one responded. And that killed me to hear that because we're so good at those responses. She joined a little late, didn't get that welcome feeling. And even if it's just a few people, it's really, we can't accept that. So we're going to have a thing next uh, cohort. We have a team of community stewards who help out in a lot of different ways. And one of the roles is going to be to track and make sure every single intro message gets a response, even if it's a week or two late. So first thing is that first impression. The second thing I think are small communication nudges you can take as a community manager or builder to, to route people back to that place. We send reminder emails. And in those reminder emails, we highlight things that are happening in circle and things that people can be doing in circle, submitting your assignments, asking a question, leaving course feedback, that type of thing. In fact, we actually started sending our primary takeaways emails, as we call them, through a circle post that triggers an automated email. So the contents of that message is now within circle, bringing people back to the community rather than living in people's inbox primarily. So that's been a big shift. And then the final thing is on our live calls, when we do live events, we highlight great activity in the community. We hold up people who are shining examples of great responses, great feedback. We have wins, share your win section, and we call attention to what we want more of. So I think that's something any community builder can do to publicly point out things that people are doing well in the community that can help route people back with these communication nudges. So... That's one thing I think about. And, and one thing what you're hinting at, Will, here is just this idea of you can't passively run a community. I'm sure we've all been a part of these like communities that just like fizzled out. It is really hard. It takes a lot of work and it, it can't be a side thing. It's actually sad that we see a lot of these communities spin up as I think these big enterprises are trying to do community driven marketing. But it's this idea of they don't actually treat it like a as as like their focus. You, you can't passively expect a community to grow on its own. You have to foster it. I love this idea of stewards and people who are watering the community in a metaphorical sense. And this is one of the challenges of the community in a course environment being separate from the content. In an ideal world, they'd be deeply integrated together and you go to the content and the communities all around it. But right now, the best content platforms don't have good community and the best community platforms don't have good content. So you actually have two separate destinations and that's unfortunate at this point. I had this really fun experience a couple of days ago. Are you guys into the crypto world? Crypto people? Heard about it, but getting, getting there. <laughs> did, did, did you guys experience the ENS token drop? Secondhand. Heard about okay. it as well. Yeah. So ENS is the the thing that powers like being able to have your name as like a, a wallet address. Like I have jklaus.eth. A couple of days ago, they just did an airdrop where they dropped everyone who is a holder of an .eth record coins, ENS coins for free. And it was like to the tune of thousands of dollars you were basically just given. And I took 20 minutes to jump through the hoops to claim that. And it was super gnarly and not very straightforward. And I did it because I had a clear reason for why I was doing it. And I think the question of like destination appeal where people fail is they haven't put any real thought or rigor into why their community exists and what you're going to get out of engaging in it. And if I don't know what the answer to that is, like, why would I work very hard to go there? Because I don't know what I'm going to get out of it. But if you have some like real clear reason for being, and when I engage, I have an experience that I'm just like so grateful that I put the effort into it, I'm willing to go out of my way and go places. And if you have a platform that's not Facebook and you're like, why aren't people coming here? It's probably a design problem. It's not a platform problem. It's a design. It's a messaging problem. It's not fulfilling or not like following through on the promise that you made when people joined in the first place. It's not going to be a platform solution for you. 
Yeah, to your point of shared mission, Jay, that's right on. A community of people with a common objective is going to just be far more effective. They're aligned. They have a topic, a point of topic, which is why communities work so well with courses, because presumably your course has a point, and that point is the mission. There's an objective to learn something and achieve at a destination together. Whereas a community just by itself has a lot more challenges, in that you need to really define that shared mission. Maybe shift gears a bit to talk about some of the tools. I, I think we're all in agreement there that the value underlying the community is the most important thing that will either get people there or not. And But there are all these different tools and there are different components of the different tools. There's trade-offs you can think about when choosing a tool for community. So first, I'd actually like to start with a piece that Jay published back, I think it was August of last year, How to Build an Online Community and Why I'm All In on Circle. And this was a seminal piece in this world, this debate of these different community platforms. You went through a whole bunch of different options. Slack, you talked about Reddit, you talked about Facebook groups, you talked about Discord and Discourse, but you really landed the the piece talking about Circle and some of the advantages that you saw with Circle. So do you want to just give us a run through of that, Jay? Kind of your thinking at the time, love to hear if things have changed in the past year, you still stand by that, but it was just a really helpful piece for me to read through and I'm sure others. So maybe we can uh, start there. As I'm sure you guys have a lot also a lot of people like have the conversation with me or ask me the question what platform should i build on and like the first answer is always it depends uh, and then we walk through some questions and more often than not i do still land on circle the big delineation i draw now is a forum based platform versus a chat based platform because the mm-hmm. vibe is very different between the two and so first question is which one which side of the fence do you land on there and if it is chat based then i basically ask okay but what are your aspirations for the size of this because if you want a chat based community but you also want a thousand members i'm saying that's not going to work out probably at the time if you desire more than 200 members in my opinion you want something that's forum based first and more often than not i land on circle as the answer for that but the big weakness of the platform still being the direct message and the chat functionality within it. It is going to get better. There is no Android app that will probably get better. But if I'm going to give a better solution based on chat and mobile apps, I'm going to Mighty Networks, which is good. But I haven't come across a Mighty Networks community that I've really enjoyed the experience of for a prolonged period of time. So more often than not, I land on Circle, but it's more so betting on the team in the future than saying it's the perfect tool right now. Sure. And yeah. one thing uh, real quick, Jay, I, I, I think a lot of us here, even I tend to bias towards Circle when I come to recommend uh, community platforms. I think it's worth calling out here that we're all in the online education space and specifically work with a lot of course creators. And it does seem like kind of a, at a bird's eye view that community platforms, all of them tend to have a niche. So Circle tends to be huge among course creators. When you look at Discord, it's huge for crypto and gaming. When you look at Slack, what's interesting, the communities that emerge on Slack, it's interesting because the pricing is ridiculous. I'm actually a part of I have a few on deck fellowships and on deck probably plays pays north of 100K a year for an yeah, enterprise Slack license at over 100K, which is just absolutely insane. But they have to because they know that startup founders and that's their kind of niche, they live on Slack. And so the idea is for them, it's that investment is worth it. One for that that real-time feeling, and the fact that's where their audience is too. So that's a really, that I thought was just mind-boggling that you have this great platform here, Circle, but there are businesses that are still choosing, you know, platforms like Slack, even though they're hundred, if not thousand times more expensive. 
but it totally comes down to what the objective is. is engagement with other people and connectivity and friendship building the priority or is the aggregation of knowledge more important the forums lend themselves to the aggregation of knowledge chat based lends itself to connection mm. and conversation and friendship making really and i would actually disagree a little bit jay i think early in the beginning you need more engagement it's harder to get that engagement going and a chat posting in a chat based conversation is less of a hurdle it's less of a barrier it's easier for someone to get their first post or if they're especially if they're new they're not as extroverted it's just easier to get going i feel at the volume that's when you're aggregating knowledge more and yeah you do make a point it can get noisy if it gets large but you can always break it into sub channels i totally agree but if you're designing for something that's going to be at scale like trying to move a chat-based community to a forum-based community later is so hard because it's such a cultural difference. Like I've never seen that not be like a near fatal transition. Agreed. But what you need is to grow and is the platform to evolve to give you both options. You need rooms that are chat-based. Totally. You need rooms that yep. are forum-based. That's ultimately yep. what we need. And and I know that the that's on the roadmap of a lot of the ones we'll be we are and we'll be talking about, but we don't have it now, which is incredibly frustrating. But yeah. I, I my my frustration <laughs> is I actually agree that Circle has the best suite of tools especially on the back end for automation and integration for private communities. But then also it is also the, really the leader at this point, I think in the post topic, but what the frustration with me is I have decided that the most important thing to happen in our community is connection with other people, more important than knowledge aggregation. So I'm prioritizing that. And the problem is that's not what circle does. And so I think it will be what Circle will do. And I've had a conversation with Sid, the CEO, it's on the roadmap, but it's not here. And, I, and we don't know exactly when that's coming. So yeah, I, I struggle with this. Yeah. I, I wanna, or Jay, go for it. Yeah. Really interesting like experiment that we've run that played off really well for us over at SPI because we saw this also. And we were like early Circle. Like we were like beta v1 version didn't have a home feed like it's come a long way but what we basically did to try to push through that initial hurdle was we started cohorting our membership so we let people in four times per year and when they come in we have a meet up with that group like we want to get you on a video call and have you have a one-to-one -one discussion with somebody else asap and then in that same like onboarding week we start putting you into a pathway to be in a mastermind group and so what we saw when we deployed mastermind groups within our membership was engagement, if you look by the circle analytics and metrics, went down and retention shot way up, which was really interesting, which is like in some ways a bummer because you see like fewer posts and comments and whatever, but like engagement metrics are a proxy for like customer and, and member happiness, but it's not exact. It's like an approximation. And we were seeing like our members, because they're business, busy business owners, the more topics and, and comments and everything else, it started to cause them anxiety because they wanted to keep up their type A people. They wanted to like feel like they were kept up on this. When we gave them the ability to engage in small groups, and that's how they got value out of their membership, even though most of that value was exchanged on video calls and even like, frankly, messenger threads and WhatsApp threads outside of our community, because the community was the bridge between people they maintain their membership longer term and find more value in being a member. It's a really interesting distinction. I think it can sometimes be a given that 
more posts is better, fewer posts is worse. But it's a really great point that there's other things to think about. Other, it's just a proxy for satisfaction rather than direct indicator of satisfaction. Yeah, so, I support what Jay said. I think building small groups, small micro communities within the community is the secret weapon for a community. I think that's the thing to really put effort into. And actually live events, which we haven't talked about, but it's one thing that Will and I, we talked a lot about and personally, and and obviously I'm biased here, but I'm a huge believer of live events. I think that community, while it's, I think these platforms can really help facilitate it, right? Make these introductions where you actually build deep relationships happen, happen over kind of video calls. Will and I have didn't meet until earlier this year, but I'd say we've been, friends for the better part of a year and a half. And it was through these kind of video call discussions we would have like hours and hours. And I think this is the way you get a community to really form into these segments, sub-segments, and you have to do that. Any organization that starts to scale, it, it starts to feel like a really big party and you got to find the, this kind of niche, your little group. And, and that is, I think, a contributing factor to long-term engagement. Yeah, this is something we're still trying to get just right with Rite of Passage, for example. We feel like if there's three layers of the community, we have the big layer, the, the top layer down. That's the live sessions. You got 150, 200 people join. Those are great, really dynamic. The middle layer, we have our mentor groups where mentors lead groups of 20 to 40 students on hour-long calls each week. They have corresponding private spaces within our circle community. Those are great. Lots of activity. People meet each other. This bottom layer, we're still figuring out the right levers to pull to strike the right balance between allowing it to flourish on its own and also giving people nudges to create that. What we find is that there's some percentage of students who will have the initiative to go create those groups and go rally others and go find the others. And that's great. But I, it was so interesting going through survey data in the last couple of weeks and hearing from students whose names I didn't recognize, right? There's the rock star, all stars who formed five groups. And I'm so happy because they're happy. There's these names I didn't recognize who are saying, hey, I didn't meet as many people as I would have wanted. And, and there's only a few of them. And you got to find this signal in the noise a bit because it's so easy to pat yourself on the back when all your superstars are forming five groups and making lifelong friends. But there's this, I sometimes call it the invisible third, right? There's maybe a third of people in the course. It's not the people who are really upset and want to refund. Hopefully not too many of those. It's not your rock stars and all stars and people who come back again and again, but people who take the course and just don't get as much as they want it. And they don't even say anything because maybe they think it's their fault. But really that falls on me and the team as community designers saying, how can we lift up those who are self-starters and, and, and hold those up and give people who aren't self-starters a menu of options of, hey, here's all, here's all these student-created bottom-up groups that you can join. So we're working on uh, a display mechanism for Next Cohort where people can raise their hand and say, hey, I made a self-created group. And then we can have a menu of those for people to join if, if those are open groups, right? We're still trying to figure out if there is some top-down engineering. We tried these five-person feedback pods didn't really catch on, too much friction. So we're toying with the idea of maybe having people opt into these feedback pods live on a call, vote with your feet and be there in person to join a group and reduce the friction of finding a time and sharing a Zoom link and all that. But yeah, we're still trying to get this bottom layer down. We have self-starters get it. And how do you help those other people find these small groups? So curious to hear anyone's thoughts on that, but still an open question for us. I have some thought based on some experiments we ran. So the same mastermind concept I was talking about that we do over at SPI, when people join, we then ask them if they want to opt into a mastermind. We don't want to assume everyone does because then we spend a ton of time matching people based on the preferences. They fill out an Airtable and they didn't want it in the first place. And now a group that was eight people is two people and those two people are pissed. So what we do is we have them opt in and tell us that they want to be in that group. Then we do the matching 
And in that survey, we also ask if someone's willing to lead because what we found with these groups that we like hands on help form, but then step back from the ones that succeeded were the ones where somebody stepped forward and said, I'm going to make the first meeting happen. So now we, we try to proactively have those people raise their hand, put them into a group, elevate them and say, your leader for the first call is this person. Here's a whole wiki we've made on how to like conduct your first meeting and have success with this. And that seem is, has seemed to work. Some of them still fail to launch. I think we were fighting uphill a little bit in that not everyone is joined for a mastermind group. And even if they want to join one, like they're running a business, they might get busy. Whereas in a CBC function, they're like all in for this period of time, theoretically. And our boot camps, which is what we call our CBCs, at the end of our final group session that we lead and facilitate, we say, you still have access to the circle forum, but we're not going to be there anymore. We're going to create a group called, we're going to create a space called Mastermind. We would recommend that you actually just continue meeting on this day and time if somebody wants to step up and lead. And every single bootcamp we've done this year, someone has stepped up and lead and every single one of those cohorts is still meeting on their own. It's mm-hmm. like crazy, actually. So I think there is something to be said about taking the first kind of step and giving it some form as the leader of the space and then stepping back hard. Yeah, that post cohort community is something we've thought a lot about too. And we don't do anything paid, but actually to bring another tool into the mix, we have spun a rite of passage ended mid-October and we have created a post cohort student-driven community on a cool uh, tool called Geneva. I like Geneva a lot. It seems to be getting a little bit of traction recently. They have a pretty big team, 35 or 40 people, so they're not too new, but it's completely free and it has a nice blend of the forum style posts and the chat rooms. And oh, by the way, it also has live video rooms. You get up to 20 people natively in the app together on video. You can have broadcast rooms with say eight people on stage and up to 5,000 people in the room. And you can do clubhouse style audio rooms. Now we haven't used those last two, but we really like the chat the forum, and then the sort of Zoom hangout room. So we have these two always-on rooms where people can come in and people will join at certain times throughout the day and, and have writing accountability groups. Our post-cohort student-created groups, instead of being disparate and spread across a whole bunch of Zoom links and all on the organizer to keep that going, we centralize those in this Geneva hub. And then we have forum-style rooms where people can leave feedback requests on articles, but also chat rooms where people can go back and forth casually. So it's a really nice blend. It does bridge this circle versus Slack, permanent versus ephemeral divide to an extent. Now, August, I know when we spoke last, you pointed out that they still don't have this list view. I don't know if you want to talk about that a bit where you can actually see all the rooms. Yeah, I would, shortcomings I mean, there, but yeah. I agree with you on it as a, an alternative if you want to emphasize the chat style. I would only push back on, I don't think it addresses the forum topic thing in any serious way. Wow. So I consider it purely in the Discord Slack camp, whereas Circle and Discourse are in the forum camp. I'm using both for, for different uses, Geneva and Circle. Of course, I've used Discord and Slack endlessly. Uh, so I think the big difference it be, okay, be, beyond chat versus forum, which is a big difference. I don't think... Yeah, it, it, I just don't think it solves the forum thing at all. It, it doesn't even have search. It literally has no search in yeah, the whole app. Yeah. It, Ultimately, I'm sure it will, but it doesn't. And the there's a middle category that I think I don't find very useful. It's what I call the Facebook style post. So both Circle and Geneva will have this middle category. It's like a block where you see the whole post, there's a thread under it, and they'll pop up and down based on what's the newest one. It's the Facebook style. I don't think that's while it's trying to do both the chat and the forum post, I think it does neither. So I'm actually not a big fan of that, even though both Circle and Geneva have it. So I think Geneva's strength is the list view. 
forum post chat. That's circle, circle strength. strength. Right, right. Geneva strength is the chat. And then they both have this sort of halfway middle one that I don't think works out. That's very similar to Facebook. I, but so the other big difference is, go, with go Geneva ahead, is that Geneva is mobile first. Their mobile app mm, is better yeah. than their browser. Interesting. Circle is browser de- de- computer first. Their mobile apps are not very good. They don't have an Android in their app, iPhone app isn't very good. It, it feels unfinished. Whereas in Geneva, their app is actually better than their browser. So that's another consideration. Where are your users going to be engaging? Is mobile more important or is computer more important? And yeah, one of the point. things, August, I'm curious about, obviously we're, we're all thinking here, man, if, if Circle just had better chat, they'd be winner. Yeah. But one of the reasons why I think that it's not actually technically difficult to build it. I, I really do think it, it comes down to in a pricing thing. Like when you co- like Slack is selling to enterprising, they're charging eight dollars per yeah. month per user, making selling licenses and contracts for a hundred K a year. Circle is selling course creed and community builders who just don't have the budget. And so building real time chat and saving those messages is very expensive at scale. Is it? Okay. So it's, it's this idea of then we want this real time chat, but it's expensive is like circle can circle be a viable business with the real time chat. I think that's something people don't consider. I don't, yeah. I don't know the tech, technical side. The only reason that Slack doesn't own this is because their pricing model is based for enterprise internal teams, which is therefore much more expensive. And it, it, it just doesn't scale. It's crazy what OnDeck's doing. It just doesn't scale for a normal course. Otherwise, it's really the best chat-based option. But because they have an internal team focus and it leaves the space open for someone else. But Circle is, this is on their roadmap. So it's a matter of implementing. Yeah, we'll see. I think with Slack, it's just, again, that's the reason I can't recommend it to most people is because it's, it's so expensive. Right. It's just, it's and just if you like, don't pay it, yeah. the history disappears, which mm-hmm. is a deal breaker for me. I yeah. get so many communities, I think, originally started on Slack and continue to thrive because, again, it's, yeah. it's that ephemerality that people love. But Slack isn't yeah. doing anything to really support community builders. I think maybe Discord is, is paying a lot more attention to community builders. For sure. For sure. But Jay, yeah, Jay highlighted the problem there. There is a big, steep learning curve to engage. If you're new to Discord, it is intense and overwhelming. It's awesome once you get it. Yeah. But I'm, it's scary. I, Go ahead. I'm, I'm doing an experiment right now. I'm going to be launching a membership in January and I'm probably going to do it on Discord. And uh, to try it out, I have this like behind the scenes experiment that I'm doing where while I'm scoping out how I'm going to build this, I'm doing all of the decision making in Notion. I'm going to make that Notion like template available to anyone in the behind the scenes community. And I'm sharing my progress in video in discord but like the reason i want to do discord is this is going to be a community for other creators and we're in like a paradigm shifting time i think with web3 and nfts and discord is like the only tool that really lets you interface with it and so the question is can i get non-discord people to trust me to break them into discord for the first time or is that Mm. a failure from the beginning so i'm like doing an experiment to give me data for the experiment. And it's really eye-opening to see like all the things that I've seen in some discords that is possible and how far away I seem to under- seem to be from understanding how to deploy it. It's crazy, but yeah, it's a weird time. The demographic of your audience matters a lot. If you have a young techno-savvy audience, Discord is fantastic. I have a very broad range across wide range of ages, wide range of techno savviness. So Discord is a big challenge for me. That's why we didn't go with it. 
quick time check. Obviously, we we are at the end of the hour. And so, Jay, August, uh, Will and I want to be respectful of your time. If you need to hop, that's totally okay. I think Will and I are going to stick around for a little bit longer to bring up some wonderful members of the audience to answer their questions. Feel free to drop if you need to. Just to make this uh, really smooth for the podcast, as speakers on stage, if you guys do want to answer any of our audience questions, please repeat the question so our podcast listeners can hear the question at home when this re-airs. With that, if anybody wants to come up and has questions for either August, Will, JRI, feel free to raise your hand and, and we'll bring you up. I can't figure out Discord myself. I haven't been on there. I'm not a gamer and I've joined a couple of Discords and just doesn't quite click for me. So I, I totally see why people are either sort of diehard Discord lovers or just have a really hard time with it. Jay, I'm curious if you figure it out. It's a really interesting challenge. Well, and that's like where I want to play because it does seem, okay, if you're going to get in this world, like it's a trial by fire, jump both feet in. And yeah, I yeah. think there's like space for me to be that guy that kind of says, hey, you want to learn this. Right. Here's a safe place to do it. <laughs> so you're laying. That's, that's real smart. Well, the, oh, I like the that. NFT crowd lends itself. First of all, it is the home to the blockchain yeah. group. And second yeah. of all, that's people who want to make make an effort to do something challenging. Yeah, especially the historical NFT folks who have the experience in that world. But like, we're at the tip of the iceberg, not even close to crossing the chasm. Like, there's gonna be a lot of people that want to cross that chasm. And right now it's a wide chasm. Yeah, yeah. But there's good motivation with that NFT world. But uh, question. Yeah, yeah. Samantha, would uh, feel free to unmute yourself. We'd, we'd love to hear your question. Samantha's question was for our podcast listeners. She has an audience. Demographics tend to be 25 to 45 year olds, wants to build a course and community ecosystem where you can have access to the community, you can buy courses and maybe even coaching. What's the best tech sort of stack platform? You got several options here, Samantha. The real easy one in my mind is a teachable circle combo. Even simpler is if you like the look of Mighty Networks, you like the vibe of Mighty Networks, like that's all built into the platform. And you can go even further towards a Kajabi where it's all built in. But Anything that tries to be like really good at a lot of things, I think inevitably is not very good at any of them. So for me, if I was building this, I would want the best in class software for all of it. I would probably go with a dedicated community tool. Circle works well with these things because a lot of this learning platforms are browser-based and the Circle team comes from Teachable. So like the Circle Teachable connection is very strong, but I think uh, Podia in Circle could work really well too because Podia has more flexible purchase options around courses. So personally, I would probably go Podia, Circle with Zapier and ConvertKit tying things together as needed. But the other like wild card to consider is building your courses inside of Circle. Now that they have paywalls, I think you could actually build a pretty compelling course experience that's gated behind groups that you can control, but it's going to be a little bit more hacky. It kind of goes to, it's, it's, I mean, it goes to how premium the course is is this a little mini course that complements the community or is it a destination course and if you want to do a destination course i don't think circle comes close to having the the tools and resources to do it but if you want to have sort of a smaller scale one that just complements the community is done in nest labs then i think that's a great path as well yeah uh, follow-up question what are we doing to funnel people into the masterminds within our community so our membership, SPI Pro, is just a pure membership. And the biggest value proposition of that is the community forum followed by Mastermind. So really what we're selling is a monthly subscription to the membership where you get access to the forum and a bunch of other benefits, one of them being Masterminds. And when you join, you get put into an onboarding sequence through ConvertKit that walks you through that entire experience and, and into those different 
I don't touch implementation on this type of thing anymore. Like I'll occasionally let somebody buy an hour or two of my time to answer like this, where I point you in the right direction and show you where to shoot. But I don't get into the sleeves rolled up implementation stuff anymore because I don't have to. <laughs> but there are circle experts that you can find in circles community that this is like what they do and they do a great job. Yeah, Circle and Geneva are quite easy to set up in the platform. I'd give it a crack. Give it a try yourself before hiring someone. Just a quick follow-up before we get to Evan here. August, I want to go back to something you said about, hey, if you're having a smaller course offering, you could put it together on Circle, a bit hacky, but you can do it. If a premium course is being offered, it'd be tough to run through Circle. I'm curious, any, anything specific you're pointing to? Is it sharing resources? Is it just the overall UI? I believe Ali Abdal is running a lot of his course out of Circle now. I've been tempted to believe that teachable to- Podia Kajabi world and, and just split through Circle and uh, Geneva. So any just follow-up thoughts on, on that? What's the gap there that you see with Circle being the main host of course content? There's a combination of both technical features and feel. On the feel side, just does it feel like a destination? If it's just in another chat room or another forum room, it feels like it blends. It doesn't feel like a statement. That's more emotional. On the technical stuff, there's marking and tracking progress who's getting through the course, just remembering where you are as a person going through the course, that kind of yeah. tracking, the level of notes and discussion. It, it depends on what you want to achieve. But I think if you want to have, and also the types of media that you're going to be embedding in there, it, you know, it's, and then there's a lot of backend stuff and a course yeah. delivery platform that's going to give you information on how the class is progressing, who's falling through that kind of stuff. I'll put it here. Thanks. And then also just if it's connected to your email, you can also send emails based on progress, where they drop off. Yeah. You know, when they get to a certain point, you can segment email mailings based on activity in the program as well. Great. And, and we have Evan. Evan would be great to have you unmute and ask your question. All right. I'll try to repeat this back. Evan asked if we believe it is true that Slack is the best CBC community experience for a cohort-based course. And his second question was, have we seen anybody successfully transition a CBC community from Slack into an asynchronous? I think that... Sorry, does anyone else want to answer before I just jump in and start spewing? I guess my thoughts are just, I wouldn't say that Slack is the best place for a CBC community for a couple of things we talked about. Number one, the pricing structure isn't designed to scale. I guess it depends on the size of your CBC, but for CBC, the pricing is really unattractive. Um, also, Slack can be hectic and chaotic. Some subset of your students will be there natively through their work, but others aren't. And you can get into Slack and just have a laundry list of side channels and all sorts of chats and threaded chats. And it can get very complicated for people who aren't uh, used to it. And then there's the ephemeral thing. There's no store of knowledge, right? It's just the messages are there and then they're gone. So I think three different ways I'd push back on Slack being the best place for a CBC community. But Jay, I want to hear your thoughts about either the first or second part of the question. I agree. I think it's easy to onboard people. Like a lot of times we conflate the word best with easiest and the easiest path isn't necessarily the best path in my opinion for this type of thing. I think it depends on like how your course community is intended to be interacted with to support the course itself. If it is like mostly you want to have asynchronous chat between people in your course, like Slack's a great way to do it. If you want it to be really easy for people to understand, use it like There's some plus points for Slack in that category also. But we've run all of our boot camps this year, all of our cohort-based courses using Circle as the backend platform, and it's been great. 
because we ask people to share their homework and they can upload it into a homework space. There's like really rich embeds and ability to comment on things. That is really nice. Being able to sort conversations is really nice. A lot of times in Slack, like it's just a fast flowing river. And if you're not really disciplined and able to teach people how to use threads effectively, it's chaos. So I also agree that Slack doesn't necessarily, I don't think of it as the best platform necessarily, but I don't have a definitive, this is the best platform either. Just considerations, as I said before, transitioning from Slack to a more forum based platform. Like again, I just think it's most of the time fatal and really hard to do. And actually, we just saw that forward.link, which was the for all of Seth Godin's programs, is shutting down their alumni community, just shutting it down entirely because people weren't using it. They were on Slack and then transitioned people to this like really built out discourse and they edited it a lot over time. But my biggest point is this, and it's that you don't need an enduring course community after your CBC. Like I would embrace the ephemerality of it and say this community exists for this experience and when it's over it's over and if you want to have a second product offering of sorts that people can opt into and not feel like obligated to check into because it's just like still there but like truly opt into and maybe even pay for that will incentivize you to care about it and foster it in such a way that it might actually work because you're actually being rewarded for it but if you're running a cbc that does four cohorts a year and there's a quote unquote alumni community that no one's paying for. They just get it because they went through the, the course. That's just creating more and more work for you over time to maintain. And you start to resent it as a course creator, in, in my opinion. And that's not conducive for you making it a good space or for people to you know enjoy being there. And, and Jay, I think what the point I really like here is this idea of, again, communities are like a, it's an active investment and you shouldn't just have communities for the sake of having communities, especially for your alumni, it should be the opt-in experience. One model that I'm seeing emerge that I think is really fantastic is cohort-based communities. Now, what does that mean? I think, Jay, your team actually uses this model, but this idea of not having your community just roll in at any time. I think the idea of like, for especially paid communities, is just having specific windows for members to enter into your community. Because there's something about having a bunch of people drop in at once to an existing community that just re-energizes. One, all the new the newbies are really active because they want to explore and meet people, but it re-energizes the alumni. And so that is a model that I've seen really work. It's, again, it, it's new. It'll be interesting to see. I've, I'm starting to see more and more programs adopt this model, but it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Yeah, we're doing that. Imagine going to college and instead of rolling up freshman welcome week with everyone at the same time in your dorm, you came two months later and everyone moved in two months ago as freshmen. Like how uncomfortable would that be? And having a perpetually open community feels like that in a lot of ways, unless you like very aggressively plan for how do I integrate new people actively all the time so that they have a good experience of entry. Yeah, big fan of that. I had another point, but I forget. It kind of depends on the objective of the community too. If it's there to help people as they hit roadblocks, it's a support tool for them to jump in to always be able to ask questions. Maybe it doesn't need to be social. Not every community has to be a social experience. Some have a utility function to be a go-to place to address problems as they come up. That would be my advice. Like I would design for what you can best make the experience that you want assuming that people value the experience because assuming people value the experience and there's destination appeal then they'll go to circle they'll go to wherever they need to go but it really forces you to be a better community builder i think 
Interestingly, Circle just just rolled out video, live stream video inside of Circle. I haven't really tested it, but that if that can do screen share, that could be really interesting in terms of driving engagement by having your live events in the community. Again, I don't know the features and how reliable it is, and it's certainly not easy to roll out a reliable video stream service. But if they did, that would be a really nice thing to drive engagement. Yes, that is coming. It is not out yet. Not out. So anyone listening to this, I'm salivating. I am salivating also, <laughs> but it, it is not yet a reality. Yeah, I know they have events. They have a new type of space, which is for events, scheduling RCPs, calendars. And I, I think the live stream is either in beta or not to be in beta. But yeah, we're, we're watching that closely as well. So we'll see. Amazing. Will, uh, shall we wrap up? I think we, uh, we are a little bit over time and, and we want to be respectful of our speaker's time yeah. here. Uh, Jay, August, so great having you guys. Do you guys have any last minute plugs in terms of how our audience can keep up with you on social media and learn more about your respective programs? Yeah, I I will tweet right now. I have two workshops on community building. If you want to go deeper on this, uh, by all means, feel free. No expectation or obligation, but if you were interested in any of this, you might be interested in that. I'm at August Bradley on Twitter and my course, notionlifedesign.com is ongoing, accepting enrollments right now. We're diving in, lots of community, lots of live activity. Awesome. And then, yeah. Thank, thank you, Ish. And yeah. thank you guys. Great, great having you guys on. No, appreciate you guys being here. So great to trade notes on this and talk about very dynamic topic. And then for us, this is the Reshaping Education Podcast. I uh, have conversations like this all the time. And then Ish, you want to talk about Edupreneur real quick? Yeah, exactly. If you enjoyed this conversation, you're somebody who's actively building CBC's boot camps and the live online experiences. We do have this Edupreneur community um, where it, it really is the, our broader community for the podcast as well. Uh, so you can just apply there at edupreneur.community. And yeah, if you enjoyed this discussion, we have more discussions like this on the podcast. This is actually being recorded. We're going to re-air this uh, on the podcast next week. Also, keep up with the podcast. We just had an amazing conversation with Marie Poulin earlier this week from Notion Mastery. That was really stellar as well. So look out for that. Uh, but with that, this is Ish, Will, August, and Jay signing off. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. And we'll talk to you next hey, time. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Hey, Ish here. If you enjoyed that episode, Will and I would love for you to leave a review and to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. It really helps get the word out. If you want to keep up when new episodes drop, head on over to reshapingeducationpodcast.com or give Will and I a follow on Twitter. All the links will be in the show notes. With that, this is Ish and Will signing off. 